Good morning, everybody. It's a great, great joy and a privilege to be with you this morning and to be back here with you to see as an outsider what God is doing here is really so encouraging and stirring for us. And um, I'd like to just really just give you this. I have been sharing this with the groups that I've managed to speak to over the weekend already, but there is something very precious what God is doing in this community. And um, sometimes you need an outsider just to remind you of that. And I really want to say to you, this is something significant in our country. A church like this, and what God is doing, the sense of warmth, welcoming, uh, interaction between people, the love one sees here, the quality of your leaders that are guiding you and their passion for Jesus, something to be celebrated. And I just really want to encourage you and say, uh, maybe even now, just in your heart, just say, Lord, thank you so much for this blessing. It's, it's rare. Let me just say that. Uh, one sometimes takes that for granted. So just thought I'd say that and encourage you with that. And commend your leaders. Uh, it's lovely spending time with them. I had an another opportunity this weekend. And to see their love for God the love for his church. Uh, you're in wonderful hands. So our commendation to the leaders as well. God bless you. So over the weekend, I've had a theme that I've been sharing on at the various meetings. If you haven't been at any of them, that's fine. But I just want to tell you, the theme has been a reminder that God has called the church to its purpose, which is to be God's healing community in a broken world. The purpose of church is to be a healing community. And so I've been sharing various things about that. And Jesus has come to bring healing to his people because what we see from Scripture is that healed people heal. Those that have been cared for, care. Those that have been loved, love. And so what Jesus does is he comes to his people and he, he brings healing and love and care but that's not the end goal. The end goal is to make us a community of people that can invite the world in their brokenness to say, come and be with us. You don't just need a specialist or you don't need a specialist in some cases. You just need to be among us. And being among us, the healing of Christ will flow through our community and we will be a healing balm to you. So we want to, I want to encourage, that's been the theme. And so with that is that... For each of us, we must not get stuck on our own healing journey because we're all on a journey. We don't reach perfection in this life, but we're on a healing journey. And we mustn't get stuck at a mountain of, you know, let's camp here. And we just get stuck there in our lives. But we need to make sure we are continuing on this journey of becoming more like Jesus, who is our absolute perfect, beautiful role model of what it is to be a whole human being. And so the journey of being healed, being made whole is one that actually is a journey of becoming more and more like Christ. And it's, I just want to emphasize this from Scripture as part of my introduction of this, this work of Christ to heal us and then to release us as a healing community. You find it at various places, but one significant one was the Scripture Jesus chose at the opening of his ministry. When at that first Sabbath, kind of at the launch of Jesus' ministry, he took the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61. 
And when you have a look, I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to paraphrase some of it. Jesus was announcing, this is why I've come. And he read from it and he, he, he says, and we pick so much of this thing of healing and releasing to be a healing community from Jesus' ministry. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to give good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. To bring liberty to the captives, release to those who are bound, to proclaim the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn, to give beauty to those in ashes, to give gladness to those who mourn, to give praise to those who are of a faint spirit. So that's his ministry. Jesus, that's why I've come, to bring healing. But then he says, he has the purpose. That they, verse 4 of Isaiah 61, they, who are the, who's the they that is spoken of here by Isaiah? It's the healed ones. The, those that have been set free from captivity. Those that have been brought from ashes into joy. From mourning into gladness. He says, they shall build the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. And they shall repair the ruined cities. So we just see this thing that actually our calling as church is to be healed and to minister healing. To be made whole and to minister wholeness. And so that's what I've been ministering on this weekend. Uh, on Saturday, there's a whole group of, of uh, you, you uh, from, from Grace here yesterday. And I ministered on emotional healing. Being on the journey of, of seeing how... The scriptures teach us that God wants to make us whole in our emotions. And so we went through that yesterday. And today I'm going to be focusing on another aspect of your personal healing. But the idea is that through that, that you will let the Lord minister to you, but that you'll also have tools in your hand that you can take and minister to others. And that's exactly what I'm doing. God has been ministering to me, especially of late. And so I'm sharing with you through the things God has done in my life and He's busy doing. And I want to give credit to a lady by the name of Matt Daisel, who comes from Mschlange, and uh, she's part of a ministry called um, Grace Counseling, and they put together a booklet called Wholeness. And somehow or other last year we got hold of this booklet, and I read through this, and it was just wonderful how that, that they put together ministered to me, and has inspired me in my preaching of late. And so... So I want to give great appreciation to their work as well. And it, 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 it has influenced my preaching here this morning as well. And so the word restoration, which is part of what we're talking about, means to restore, means to bring something back to its former place or condition. So if you want to restore a piece of damaged furniture, you take it to a restorer who will then take it and carefully, through a process, Bring it to its original condition, the way it was designed to be. Or a, a, an old motor vehicle that uh, you're given, somebody that loves that kind of thing will restore it to its former state, the way it was designed by the original designer. And so when we talk of this journey that we're on, Jesus wants to come and find us in our brokenness, and he wants to put us on this journey where he works in us to restore us to our former condition, the way God designed us, the designer. And so that's why it's important to go and have a look in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Before the fall, before brokenness entered into our world, we get a lot of lessons there about what God designed us to be. 
And that enables us to understand ourselves and to understand the brokenness that we're in because brokenness has got to do with trying to be what we were never designed to be, trying to cope with ways that we were never designed to cope. But Christ comes to restore us so that we can live out the purposes of God in the way he designed us. And so this morning I want to point out to you three critical things in our design as human beings that God put into each and every one of us prior to the fall. So in other words, they are what make us human. God built them into our whole DNA, so to speak, into our makeup. He built us like that, and we can't wish those things away. We can't repent of them, and we can't suppress them because they make us who we are. That's the way God made us. After the fall, those three critical things got into trouble because no longer was God central and our relationship with God was broken, but those same human needs stayed there. But now they were no longer being satisfied in an environment that they were designed for. And so I like to use the analogy of a fire. A fire in its ideal situation is one that has sufficient fuel and sufficient heat and sufficient oxygen. And when it has sufficient supply of those three things, the fire burns cleanly. But if you were to cut off any one of those three or a combination of all three, the fire doesn't immediately die, but what it does, it becomes smoky. And it gives off an acrid smoke that if you come near a smoky fire and, and it, you're on bright duty and ever, and so something's wrong there, and there's either not enough heat or oxygen or fuel uh, that's available to burn, then it gives us this acrid smoke, and you've got to get there, and you start coughing, and it burns your throat and makes you cry. And that's very much a picture, a weak picture, but it is a picture of our humanity, because those three critical things of what God has built into us are not being supplied and met in our lives. We hurt one another. We make one another weep. We bring brokenness. We give off an acridness. We are are broken people breaking others down that come close. And so what Christ has come to do is to bring us back to a place of wholeness where these things flow easily into our lives by bringing God back to centrality. And then we can burn cleanly and we can be a fire that brings wholeness and healing and warmth and comfort into the lives of others. And so I want to look at these three critical elements. I'll mention them briefly and we'll go through them in a little bit more detail. We have been designed to love and to be loved. We've been designed to have purpose, and we've designed, have been designed to find worth through relationships. God built them into Adam and Eve, our humanity, before the fall. And so I want to go through each one of these, and as we look at them, to consider in your own life, you know, how much are these flowing into my life, like the oxygen and the heat and the fuel of a fire? Am I burning clean as a human being? And so, firstly, let's look at love. Now, I want to put it like this. God is revealed through the Bible that He is love. God is love. So if God then made mankind in His image, it means we are in His likeness, not just physically, but in His character, in His nature. So in other words, we have been made to be loved because we are made in God's image. We have been made like God is in that sense, to love and to be loved. And so when you have a look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it's a well-known passage that says just what I've just said. 
It says the following. We're going to look at it and draw some truths about this love that we have been designed to receive and to give. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And I want to point out three or four uh, things about this love that God designed us to have and to give. And from 1 John 4 verse 8, I want to just point out to you, John writes there and he doesn't say anyone who is not loved does not know God. He says anyone who... And that's important because what it shows us is the kind of love God designed us to know and to be part of is one that doesn't benefit us in any means until we give it away. So he says, anyone who does not love, in other words, doesn't give love away, doesn't draw the benefit of it, doesn't come into an understanding of who God is. But as we give love away, so we draw the benefit of it. And so we need to understand this. It's a very important thing because it's one of the things that has distracted our world and distracted us because we think what I really need is to be loved. But actually, if that is my end goal, I want to be loved, I want to feel loved, and many people build their lives around trying to get love and to feel loved, when actually this says when we love, then we come alive. Then we start to be who we were designed to be when we give love away. And some people say, well, I first want to get my full dose of love, and then I will give away. But actually, we find scripturally that there's no kind of first get this, and then after soaking in the love, then we give it away. Now, actually, it's a simultaneous thing. It's like electricity. You know, you've got, you, you, if you want the globe to light up, you know, the current has to flow right through the globe. You know, it can't fill up the globe first. Now I'm full of electricity, and now I'm going to shine. Now, actually, it's got a give and take simultaneously. And that's how love works in a way. It's as we give and re- as we receive and give simultaneously, we come alive. And I find this... It, it almost puzzled, puzzled me for some time when I, I thought about Peter who, who really messed up in a bad way and we praise God for him. He's such an encouragement to us when we fail. But, but I want to thank him when I, I get to heaven. Really thank him that he brought so much encouragement to me. But Peter really blew it when, when at the crux of three and a half years of ministry from Jesus personally, hands-on ministry, Teaching in his life. At the pressure moment, he denied his Christ. Three times. And the brokenness that must have come upon Peter at that point. I mean, I just try and put myself in his shoes, you know. I'll never deny you, Jesus. I'm like one of your closest disciples. I'm one of the three that you call when you need somebody. That's who and then a servant girl comes and says, Do you know this Jesus? No, I've never heard of him. Don't know him at all. Three times Jesus is denied. Jesus dies, resurrection, after the resurrection, he goes out looking for Peter, calls Peter to him. And then we would expect, I mean, I'm a dad with two kids. My wife uh, wonderfully says to us, we've got four now, not two anymore. And that's where we live, in that space. Now that they're both married, we've got four kids now. And, but as a dad, if my son or my daughter would fail me, what a, my natural response would be to go to them and say, listen, I know you've blown it, but don't worry, I'll put my arm around him. Daddy loves you. It's okay. 
I love you. You've messed up, but it's okay. That would be how I would think Jesus would be with Peter. To come up to Peter and Peter just face down and put his arms around Peter. Say, hey, Peter, you've blown it, but hey, I still love you. It's okay. I love you. But he doesn't do that. He goes to Peter and he says to him, Peter, do you love me? You think that almost seems like a bit harsh on poor Peter. But it's this thing that when we give love away, we come alive and healing comes. And so he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I do love you. Three times he plies the medicine. Give the love, Peter, and you come alive. You'll be restored. And so often we come and we first want to be pampered and loved and everybody must make a fuss of me. And Jesus says, give the love and you'll come alive. And so we need to understand that's the nature of the love. It's the love that when we give it, that uh, a sedan vehicle that's been plowing the millie fields. It's just not what it was made to do. Trying to pull the plow through the millie fields. But then one day the driver gets it on the tar road and that car just is in its zone now. And when we're giving love, it's like that. We're in this place where we are able to just be what we were designed to be. And uh, so this world is spending its days amassing things, spending its money on things to make me feel loved. And so I'll buy stuff that makes me, that I think is going to make me feel loved. I'll buy this gadget and this thing, and I'm spending my money on things that are going to make me feel loved, and gifts for myself, and we want to gather people around us that make me feel loved. And it all just does nothing. Because it can't. But when I love somebody else, and I give the love, I come alive. So that's the first thing we see here. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Second thing says God is love. God is the source. Whether we acknowledge it or not. And God loves this world and He's pouring love into this world. By the grace of God, He didn't withdraw His love after the fall. But people don't acknowledge it. So he's pouring his love into this world. But when we come to know God is the source, then we can understand to make him central in this thing. That God is the source of love. No other thing can provide that. They can be channels, but God is the source. And so I need to receive it as that. The third thing we need to see about love is that to love and to be loved is who we are. We are made like that. I've been saying that often, but I need to bring this point across strongly. You've been made like that. You cannot repent of your need for love. You can't pray it away. You can't wish it away. You need to be loved and to give love. You were made. God made you like that before sin came into the world. And if you're trying to deny that, push it down and say, I don't. I'm one of those that don't need it. I'm tough enough. You don't. Everyone, no matter where you're what your background is, where you've come from, you were made to be loved and to give love. Even Jesus, one thinks, really? Even Jesus, he limited himself to our humanity, and that means he needed to be loved and to give love. And we find it in his life on earth. In his humanity, he needed the love of his friends around him. But in particular, he needed to know God the Father loved him. He needed that. And so that voice from heaven at his baptism wasn't just one 
so that we can have that verse in the Bible. But Jesus needed that voice from heaven. As the Father spoke, it says, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Christ in His humanity needed that. And God the Father knew, and so He spoke that over Christ for the ministry ahead. And then we, He needed to love. And so greater love has no one than this, than He lays down His life for His friends. And so He gave love to us. Loved and being loved is who we are. We've been made like that. We need to understand then the nature of this love. And one of the, the ways that I've, one of the scriptures that ex- explained this a little bit to me is from Deuteronomy chapter 7. The nature of this love that God designed us to receive and to give. And in Deuteronomy 7, this is, if you know the history, the Old Testament, but the, the Israelites had come out of Egypt where they were slaves and they had wandered through the desert, got to the brink of the promised land. They had unbelief in their hearts and God said, because of that, you've got to go back into the wilderness for 40 years. So they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. A new generation came through in that time and God brought them back to the brink of the promised land and that's where Deuteronomy was written. It records Moses' encouragement to the new generation that was about to go into the promised land. And having lived 40 years in a sense of actually we've blown it. Moses comes and he reaffirms the love of God for them. Deuteronomy 7. And so he starts to tell them about the love of God. To actually prepare them. They've done nothing. They've just been slaves and desert wanderers. There's nothing fancy about these people at all. They had nothing. No land of their own. No great, uh, great name. They had nothing. And God comes and he says, I love you. And so Moses is explaining this theology to them. The theology of God's love for them. And he, he says this. Right, it's got all the people there. He says, I want to tell you about the love of God for you. And he says, it is not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. So let's put it in our sort of language. God comes to whoever, whatever your name might be here this morning. And he says to you, I've set my love on you, not because you were better than anybody else in the room or anybody else on the planet. I've set my love on you, and I'm going to tell you why in the, in the next verse. So the whole nation is not, okay, it's not because we're better. Okay, we get that, God. So there must be some other reason why God loved us. Verse 8, here comes the answer. Why then did God love us? They wonder. Moses tells them, it is because the Lord loves you. They say, that doesn't make sense. But it makes the most sense when you think about it. Because what he was saying to them, there's nothing about you that can give me a reason to love you, says the Lord. I love you because I love you. I've set my love on you. And what that does, it sets us free. Because if there was a reason why God loved me, then I'd have to spend the rest of my days maintaining that thing or else I would lose it. But instead, God says, there's no reason I have set my love on you because I love you. It sets me free. 
There's nothing I have to do to maintain it, to perform, to get to some standard, to earn it. There's nothing I have to keep doing in order to maintain this love that God now has set on me. But he's loved me without a reason except in himself. He references himself. It's a self-referencing love of God. And it's that love that impacts my life and that I give away to others in the same way that I have been loved. I give that love away. Loving others, not because they've earned it, deserved it, achieved it, performed it, or going to bless me uh, when I love them. No, none of that. I love them because I've set my love on them because that's how I've been loved. You see, that's the nature of the love of God. And what it does is it brings security. Now, you would agree with me, I'm sure, that our world is dominated by insecurity. People are insecure. And the reason is, is because that need that we have to be loved unconditionally has been cut off. And so we've become smoky fires, insecure, desperately hurting one another. We go into relationships, into marriages with deep insecurities. And then we hurt one another because we're trying to get from them what we need and crave that they cannot give us. But when we understand this love and we give it, we come alive. This is who we are, and it makes me secure. The love of God makes me secure. The, the love songs of our day show how insecure people are. They have a wrong understanding of love. There's many you can think of. I thought of this one, and it's the words you'll know. Will you still love me when I'm no longer young and beautiful? And you see, it just brings across this message that all of humanity carry. You know, insecure. I've got to stay young and beautiful and buy all the products to keep me that way. Else I'm going to lose this love that I think I've got now. But I'm insecure the whole time. But the love of God makes us secure. There's nothing I have to do to earn it. Nothing I have to do to get there. That's why John could write in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. That fear spoken of there is insecurity. When we understand the love of God, fear goes out the window because God's love makes me secure. And then I can love others in the same way. You see, and that's the journey that we are to be on is becoming God's healing communities more and more, being able to love one another that way. Because what it will bring is it makes people secure. And that brings such healing. People are so insecure, all of us. But when we love like that, we're safe, we're secure. Nikki Cruz, one of the most dangerous and, and hardest gangsters in New York at, at, in his time, was rejected by his mother, was a, a juvenile delinquent, arrested many times as a youth. They had to release him because he was too young to go to prison. They took him to all the state psychiatrists to try to help him and the counselors. And uh, in his own testimony, he said, after he'd been with them just a little while, they said to him, there's no hope for you, Nicky. All that's left for you is to go and to burn in the fires of hell. That's your future. Nobody can help you. That's how hard he was. He was so feared um, amongst his, his gang members. Until one day, a little preacher by the name of David Wilkerson started preaching in his area where these gangs were. And in hatred and in... in with much venom, 
Nikki went up to this preacher and said, you get away from here or I'll kill you. And the famous words you may have heard of David Wilkerson, the pastor that was preaching there, responded. And he says, yes, Nikki, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them all on the street. and Every piece will still love you. And as Nikki heard those words, obviously his outward show was violence and anger. But it was the words that broke his heart. Because deep inside he knew that's the kind of love he was designed for. As cruel and as vicious as he was, he was still under the design of God to be loved like that. And it broke him. He knew that was what he was looking for. And that brought him to the meeting later that, in that time where he gave his life to Christ and has lived to serve Christ till this day. But God broke in with this thing. I love you. Maybe that's what you need to hear here this morning. You were made to be loved like that. There's not something wrong with you. You were made like that. And your longing for that is not evil. It's not because you are a needy person. It's who you were made to be like. And so on our healing journey, Christ wants to come to you and to open up that flow of love through your life that will make you come alive. Our second built-in human requirement that makes us human is our need for purpose. The statement, love is all you need, is not accurate. You see, Adam was fully loved by God, living in the garden. And God comes and says, go and work the garden. You see, love is not all we need. It is our baseline. It gives us security. It's where we work from. I don't work to get love. I work from love. But we need purpose. Every human being has been designed by God to have purpose in life and to draw meaning from, for our existence from our purpose. And sometimes we're in a place where we just think, well, what purpose do I have? I'm just useless in this life. What can I mean to anybody? And that's a, a, a state that troubles us. And it troubles us because you were designed to have purpose and designed to know that you were fulfilling that purpose. You were made like that. No person can actually live a fulfilled life if they are not aware that I am living out the purpose that God had for me. We will never be fulfilled unless we are walking in that. And what's important to realize is that humanity has said, okay, well, and they've swapped the sense of God's purpose for a selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is not what we were designed to live for. God came to Adam and said, Adam, I've laid out the garden. I've created it for you. Now this is what you must go and do. Our fulfillment in purpose can only be found when we find God's purpose for our lives. And as we start to walk in those things, we've got to understand God is the author of every human being's purpose. But not all find it. Ephesians 2 verse 10 the New Testament explains this as Paul comes to the Ephesian Christians and he says, you guys, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared the purposes beforehand that we should walk in them. But we don't all do that. But we were designed to walk in them and to know it. I've mentioned secondly already 
We don't work and have purpose to be loved, but we work and have purpose because we are loved. Thirdly, we need to understand about purpose, that my purpose gives me a sense of significance. It's not wrong for us to draw significance from what we do, what God has shown us. Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that God will open the eyes of your heart in order that you might see the hope to which he has called you and that you might walk in that. So we need to understand our longing to have purpose. If we don't have it, we will struggle with a a battle of, am I really significant? Is there some reason for me to be alive? You've been designed to have purpose and you can't wish it away or pray it away or repent it away. Even some people have overplayed the finished work of Christ in salvation and say, once you get saved, that's it. You never need to work again. But in fact, that's contrary to Scripture because God didn't design us to get saved and then just to park on our lazy boys until He comes to take us home. It would frustrate the daylights out of us because He's made us in His image. And God is a God of purpose who said, Jesus said, my Father is always working, so I too must work. So we need to understand, it would frustrate us. And that doesn't take away from the finished work of Christ. He saves us completely. He's done everything for us on the cross. And then He says, now go and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We need to understand, even as Christians, we are to work out our salvation. We are to become more like Christ. We are to be co-workers with Him in being His healing community on this planet, in this broken world. And when we do, we feel significant. And when we don't, we battle with feelings of insignificance and worthlessness in this world. Purpose comes from God. It's got to be His purpose, not our own running busily, keeping ourselves busy, doing all kinds of things that God never told us to do, will not do it. It will not satisfy my need for purpose. Bringing me to my fourth point on purpose is that we are all designed to hear God say, well done. We've been built like that. I believe in the cool of the day God came and walked with Adam and Eve. And he said, Great stuff, Adam. You worked the garden. Well done. Well done. Every day, every day, until the fall. Then God came and walked in the garden, and Adam was afraid. And there was a brokenness that came. So we need to understand, every human being has this built-in need to do God's purpose and to hear him say, well done, Alan. Every day. And I'm not talking of perfection. David is such an example to us of somebody that blew it many times, went out of the purposes of God, became a murderer, adulterer, and all these kind of things, and yet came back. God picked him up. He repented and took another step to serve God and another, blew it again, got up, Carried on. At the end of his days, God commends David in the scripture, in the Bible. We read about it in the book of Acts where it says, And David fulfilled the purposes of God. Not the purposes of David, the purposes of God in his lifetime. And then he went to sleep or when he died. So he's not talking of perfection here. But we need to hear God saying, well done. And that means every time I take a step in the right direction, I believe we've been designed to hear God say, Well done. Well done, Alan. 
taken another step. And he does it through his body as well. That's why the scripture says, encourage one another daily. Delia and my wife's testimony, before she became a Christian, she was in the hostel, but on weekends she'd go home, and her family had a kind of like a tradition, Sunday afternoons you all go for a rest. We all go and lie down, have a rest on Sunday afternoons. But she used to dread that. Because every time on Sunday afternoon, she would sit in her room or lie on her bed, and this deep sense of why am I alive would come over her. This deep sense of what am I here for? Life is purposeless. There's no purpose for my existence. But there was this longing for it. But the, the emptiness just flooded her being. And in a trick, she gave her life to Christ. And the very first Sunday after that, it was gone. She didn't know the exact purpose of her life. But from that moment, that Sunday, it was gone. It was her testimony. She knew she was alive for a purpose. Christ had restored the sense of this purpose for my life. And he wants to do that for you in case you're sitting here today. You have been designed for a purpose and your longing for purpose is God's doing in your life. But he wants you to hear from him the works he's prepared for you. He wants you to pray and say, Lord, open my eyes to see the glory of your calling on my life. The third and last one. We've been designed by God to find worth through relationships. We are not designed to find worth in isolation. We are designed to find worth through our relationships. And the first and primary one that nothing else can, can replace is our relationship with God. And I'm convinced that Adam drew great worth from the fact that the one who had created this beautiful garden where he was working was the same God who would come and walk with him in the cool of the day. The creator God coming to fellowship with tiny little human mankind. And it drew, he drew worth from that. And that is why after the fall and there was a brokenness that came between God and man, that one of the great maladies that came over humanity was this great sense of worthlessness. Why? Because that supply that I need to make this fire burn clean was broken. And so we've got, and so we're craving worth. And so we've got these things and we'll cry, strive for them and push others down, try and get status and, and fame and wealth and whatever things will give us a sense of worth, but they cannot because we draw worth from our relationship with God. Our purpose gives us significance. Love gives us security. But relationships give us a sense of worth. And the first one is our relationship with God. There's a, a hymn writer from a few hundred years ago who penned these words that just bring the wonder of a relationship with God in this hymn that he wrote. I'd love to read it. It's a hymn by Frederick Faber. Or Faber. And he writes, and he says the following. It's all kind of old English, but, but, but hear the beauty of this. He says, Oh, how I fear thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, and worship thee with trembling hope and penitential tears. Yet I may love thee too, 
O Lord, almighty as thou art, for thou hast stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. Can you see the, the wonder of Frederick Faber? He says, God, I fear you. I worship you with tenderest fears. But then he says, I draw wonder also from the fact that I can love you and that you stoop, almighty God stoops to small man and says, I desire the love of your poor heart. What value we can draw from the fact that God stoops to ask Alan, Alan, I desire the love of your heart. I desire a relationship with you. And so we find this beauty of it. And so that's the first relationship, the primary. We were designed to draw worth from our relationship with others. Adam had perfect relationship with God. He had perfect relationship with this creation that God had put him in. There he was in this place. Everything was designed good. And God looks down at the sitting and he says to Adam, something's not right here. What? No sin had entered. Adam was there. Adam was in relationship with God. And God comes and says, something's not right. In Genesis chapter 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. What was God saying? Man was not designed. To find worth purely out of your relationship with God. Man was not designed purely to exist and be completely satisfied with his relationship with God. You know what I'm saying? Because sometimes we can get so spiritual that we can say, well, all I need is become a, a monk in an isolated monastery and spend my days on some mountaintop with God and I'll be fulfilled. No, you were not designed like that. You were designed to find worth through relationship with others. God made you like that. And many people having been hurt in their relationships try and think that the best way to cope with life is to say, I'm not made like that. I'm one of the exceptions. I can cope without the need for relationships with others. And so you even have Christians sitting at home not being part of community. Jesus designed the church because he knew that God had designed humanity to find worth through relationship, through community. And yet you find Christians sitting at home saying, well, I don't need these Christians. I don't need to be amongst the hypocrite Christians. I'll stay at home and, and get my message off the TV. You want to, I want to say to you, it's not the way God made you. You can never find worth through that. God has designed us to find worth through relationship with others. You're made like that. You can't wish it away. You can't repent of it or push it down. You were made like that. Even a perfect relationship with God will not satisfy you. We need to hear that. You were made to draw worth through relationships with others. It is not good that man should be alone. Paul Simon, if you're my age or older, will know who he is. He was a poet, songwriter, and singer. And he penned this poem, became a, a song, which describes the reaction of man to the hurt that comes from relationships. But you can see through the words of this poem, and I read it, that actually the, that he knew very much he was denying something he desperately needed. But listen to these words. A winter's day in a deep and dark December, I am alone. 
gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. Don't talk of love. But I've heard the words before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I am shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. We take those sobering words. And I want to bring this message to a close, saying, we are made to be loved and to give love. We can't deny it. We can't say, I'm a rock, I'm an island. We were made to hear God saying, well done. Here's my purpose. Go for it. Well done. We can't deny that. We are made like that. And we were made to be relational people. People that have a relationship with God, first and foremost. But who are in community. Who are having people that are able to come and to give worth through my relationship with them. I've shared these things with you this morning because I believe God is wanting us to give these things away to the people He wants to bring here to Grace Covenant. He wants people to come here and to find this love through you. This love that they are craving, that they were designed to have. To come here and to find in this midst somehow through the community, their purpose in God. Because that's going to give them significance. And to find through this community worth through relationships. Their relationship with God as we worship Him together and their relationships with you. Finding worth by belonging, being part of a group of people who Jesus has come and loved, given purpose, and has relationship with. So I'd like to ask you, this is not just for your own ministry, but also for the ministry that you've been called to as a church. To just pause now as I bring this to a close. I want to ask you three questions. That I'd like to ask, if you don't mind, to close your eyes, to ponder these questions for the sake of becoming aware. Because we get stuck. But when we become aware of perhaps ways I've been trying to get love and purpose and value from. That are not God's ways. That I can be aware of this. That I can pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to minister to me. How do I change things in my life to grow in my wholeness? So after each question, I'll give a short pause. It's not an awkward silence. It's an intentional pause for you just to contemplate the question. Very simple questions and they're all more or less the same. First question. What or who gives you a sense of knowing that you are loved?
What or who gives you a sense of knowing that you have a purpose? Lastly, what or who gives you a sense of knowing that your life has value? I'd like to pray with you, but I want to ask that you will let those questions keep going up in prayer to the Lord. Because healing is a process. God showing and restoring. I'd like to pray with you. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to start out by honoring you. Because you have made the way for us to be made whole. The fact that you came, gave your life, and loved us, restored the possibility of finding our purpose again in God, and made it possible for us to have relationship with God, has made it possible for us to become whole beings, people that live according to the way God designed them. So we want to honor you for the cross. It all revolves around that which you've done. Thank you, Lord. And secondly, we want to come and ask you, Lord. You have walked this road of humanity. You have seen the brokenness of this world. Will you come and draw near to us by your Holy Spirit? Show us in our lives where we are seeking to have our critical human needs met by wrong things or things that cannot satisfy. Where we're trying to drink from broken systems instead of from the living waters. Show us, O oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Give us all personal revelation of wrong means that we are grasping in our lives. And thirdly, Lord, would you come and help us to turn our feet to you. Turn our feet to the everlasting God who can satisfy us because you are the one that said, come to me all who are thirsty and I will give you rest for your souls. So Lord, help us, O Lord, to direct our needs first and foremost to you and to acknowledge that you are the source of all that we need even though it might come through others. But you are our source. Help us with this, we pray. Make us an effective healing community for this nation and the nations of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much.